Hey guys, finally, um, I decided to make a video introducing me. So this is introducing Mark and <clears throat> Michelle did a video a few weeks back introducing herself and basically just telling you a little bit about uh, who she is and how she came to uh, how she came to uh, uh, receive her medium gifts and how she uses them and that type of thing. And so <clears throat> I thought I'd uh, tell you a little bit about me, my background and that kind of thing so you know where I've come from and kind of how Michelle and I work together in this uh, 12th Light University uh, <clears throat> uh, adventure because it really has been so far. Uh, <clears throat> well, my background is similar to Michelle's but uh, different and what I mean by that is she had a uh, she had the experience of growing up the daughter of a Southern Baptist minister and uh, most of her dad's brothers were Southern Baptist ministers not all of them there was one who was a Pentecostal minister uh, <clears throat> and that brings me to me that's how I grew up I uh, grew up the son of a Pentecostal minister and uh, he was a minister on and off, a lot like Michelle's dad was. Uh, uh, my dad uh, didn't always work as a minister. He was kind of part-time uh, most of the time. And then every once in a while, he was a full-time minister. Uh, that mainly in Michigan. And But from then on, uh, he was periodically part-time in Oklahoma, North Carolina. Um, I don't... Yeah, he did that in Georgia full-time for about a year. Uh, and then uh, in Florida, I don't think he was a part-time, uh, I don't even think he was a part-time uh, Pentecostal minister even in Florida. But <clears throat> that's how I grew up. And for those of you who don't know the difference, uh, <clears throat> you might say that Baptists are quiet. Uh, that's kind of how I always thought of them. And growing up in the South, uh, uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is is actually the largest evangelical denomination, or at least it had been. It may be shrinking, but it had been the largest evangelical Christian um, <clears throat> denomination in the United States. And <clears throat> um, again, now that may not be the case, but um, growing up in Georgia and North Carolina and Northern Florida, uh, that's mainly the uh, Protestant Christians you encounter. And <clears throat> So, uh, growing up in that area of the country, uh, Oklahoma was different. Mainly, mainly you encountered Pentecostals. Uh, there were Baptists, but they weren't as numerous for some reason. But <clears throat> uh, in the Deep South, Georgia and, and North Florida, uh, that's you really encountered uh, Southern Baptists. And so, most people that I knew who were Christians were Southern Baptists. Uh, and I had grown up Pentecostal. I went to Southern Baptist churches. Uh, my parents did a little bit on and off when they lived in Georgia as well, but uh, uh, mainly uh, the difference, uh, since I was talking about that, is Southern Baptists, I would consider them quiet. Pentecostals are the ones, uh, well, if you've ever heard of the snake handling churches, uh, they're in the south, in the mountains mainly, in the uh, southern Appalachians, and <clears throat> uh, they're Pentecostal. Uh, but Pentecostals are the ones who do the Holy Spirit jig. Uh, they speak in tongues. Um, 
they believe that those are the gifts of the Spirit. There are other things like being slain in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, comes upon you and uh, you wind up uh, flat on your back uh, on the ground uh, in a state of ecstasy, you might say. <clears throat> and so uh, I grew up in the loud, rambunctious uh, denomination uh, and uh, or denominations. But um, because that's how I grew up, uh, that particular type, that particular denomination or set of denominations, um, they're very emotional. Their Christianity is, is uh, to use a 200-year-old term, enthusiastic. Um, they are very enthusiastic about their uh, worship style. And uh, I remember a girlfriend that I had uh, from Georgia I took her to a Pentecostal church once, and that scared her to death. She was crying and wanted me to take her home and all this kind of stuff because it was so unusual for her. And <clears throat> so uh, having grown up in the, the loud, rambunctious, slain in the spirit, speaking in tongues, um, what you might call the lunatic fringe of uh, evangelical Christianity, um, that's what I was used to. And so, going to Baptist churches, Baptists were quiet, uh, kind of solemn, uh, serious people. And <clears throat> so, my kind of Christianity did not mix well with their type of Christianity. And um, what's interesting is that <clears throat> really no religion made sense to me at all. Now, I'm going to explain why. Uh, I didn't know this until I was 43, but I was autistic. Uh, I was diagnosed with high-functioning autism, but the more and more I looked back on it, it wasn't quite as high-functioning as uh, the psychologist uh, diagnosed it. Uh, it was a little more moderately, moderate, not severe, but moderate. <clears throat> and because I could be selectively mute at times, wouldn't talk to people, wouldn't interact with people, uh, mainly because I didn't do it well. So I just didn't. And you could say it was a choice, but then that would be where the selective part is uh, comes from. And so being autistic, social situations weren't good for me anyway. And so church, well, you know, pretty much any time where there's you and another person, that's a social situation. And so <clears throat> social situations just uh, were uh, difficult for me. And people would say hi and I would just freeze up. Um, uh, after I got to know people, I would interact more. Uh, but the interactions weren't what, you, what I would call easy interactions. And so it just wasn't... Uh, it just wasn't an easy facility uh, for me to uh, interact with people. And so uh, I always felt I was on the outside of everything looking in. And at church, that was especially the case. And <clears throat> Pentecostal denominations being so emotional, um, it, was, it was bizarre even to me to be at church on Sundays because... It was just an emotional display almost the entire time. 
the hellfire and brimstone, you get Baptist pastors who do that, but um, Pentecostal pastors are the ones who are known for that. And so they'll shout, they'll scream, they'll jump up and down, they'll run across the stage. Uh, <clears throat> and interesting that I use the word stage because for the most part, it really was a performance. And that's what it seemed like to me. And uh, back to the autism diagnosis, uh, that was in 2012. And <clears throat> I didn't know... Again, I didn't know my whole life up until I was 43. I suspected I suspected something was wrong with me. I just didn't really investigate it, and I didn't venture a guess as to what it was until it got so bad that it started to really impair my life functioning. And <clears throat> so 2011 came around. I suspected I might have it. 2012 came around, and I was able to uh, get a diagnosis of high-functioning autism. And what went undiagnosed was another condition called alexithymia. And alexithymia is the inability of a person, in this case me, to be able to, uh, for me, feel and identify and label my own emotions. So, to be honest, my ability to, to let me see if I can make this simple. I did not, my brain did not function well enough to tell me what my own emotions were. And most of them I didn't even feel anyway, unless it was, they were very extreme. Extreme fear, extreme anger, extreme sadness. Uh, real happiness, I didn't feel until after I started healing. And uh, all those emotions coming on that had been or I should say that I was able to recognize as I started healing, um, and I started that in 2013, the year after the diagnosis, um, was a was a really interesting uh, experience. Uh, well, experiences because uh, even in the past few months, uh, my sensitivity to emotion has uh, grown, which is amazing to me because it's still happening. Um, more than eight years later and <clears throat> but the reason I tell you about the alexithymia is because uh, again linking that back to church on Sundays and Wednesday nights Pentecostals are very emotionally uh, emotional and enthusiastic um, uh, worshipers of their Christianity and or Christ and so <clears throat> uh, I just saw in all of these church Pentecostal churchgoers, I just saw what seemed to be an emotional display all the time in church. Crying, shouting, screaming, speaking in tongues, um, stuff that was absolutely bizarre to me because it didn't make any sense to me. Uh, I didn't feel it at that point. Um, <clears throat> now I would. Uh, but... <clears throat> Then I couldn't. And so church was nothing but a display to me. And to be honest, for me, it felt fake. And because it felt fake, because it felt inauthentic, uh, I can't say that those people were faking it because I don't really know. But that's how it felt. It, it didn't feel genuine. But then, I guess, how would I know what genuine felt <laughs> if... I couldn't feel it then, but 
something just told me that it was it didn't it didn't make sense to me that's that's the best way to explain it and so I didn't try to make sense of it but when people started talking about well you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus my first question was what's a relationship and now I know but this that's been 30 something years later uh, and I heard that starting from the early 80s up and up until I stopped going to church in the early 90s maybe the mid 90s uh, <clears throat> but uh, I tell you all of this because religion in itself it's it's worship uh, people's enthusiastic uh, participation in it uh, just did not ring any bells with me you know when people say well does that ring true for you there we go that that's the term I should have used instead of ringing bells it didn't ring true for me at all and I just you know now I tend to understand religion a little bit people feel like they have a connection with God okay um, but back then I didn't have a connection with anyone because the alexithymia prevented that as did the autism so between the two of them uh, it was kind of like a double jeopardy um, where uh, I wasn't going to connect with anyone uh, so a relationship truthfully wasn't possible and uh, <clears throat> when I finally got married uh, that was the case I thought oh this is going to be a great marriage and you know and the truth is it has been yet for the first 19 years there was no connection until I started recovering and healing from autism I did not have a connection with Michelle at all uh, you know what I won't say at all I think it was a very basic one there was there was part of me that trusted her enough to know that I just needed to stay with her no matter what my problems were or what I thought hers were and <clears throat> she stayed with me she saw as she said she said I saw something behind all that autism and alexithymia that kept me with you and she's right and so uh, for the first 19 years she was really my caretaker well <clears throat> first 19 years that would be 2013 and what's interesting is uh, to move on to the next uh, subject <clears throat> my uh, my alexithymia and the autism like I said made me skeptical of whether people uh, were really genuine in their religious belief and so <clears throat> that being the case I didn't uh, I just didn't assume that what people were feeling was true or existent or whatever else and <clears throat> or real there we go um, I've since become since found out through my own experiences with losing the alexithymia that for me and I think for most people uh, things are re become real to you if they if you can feel them if they touch your emotions if they resonate with an emotion or, or a feeling they something immediately becomes real and um, so that's been a revelation to me because 
I'm like, oh, this is how people see life. Through the lens of their emotions slash feelings, you know, uh, whatever those are. And that becomes their filter for life. <clears throat> and I've since come to find out, though, too, that our filters a lot of times are messed up. They're, our filters are traumatized. They're heavily distorted. They're cloudy. They're... Um, they're dysfunctional, they're non-functional. They, our filters have been traumatized. And uh, because of that, we don't really see life the way we want to, I think, and really the way it is, because our emotions inform our interpretation of what we see. So, <clears throat> Michelle in 2009, Michelle had an Uncle Danny. I have an Uncle Danny as well. He passed away in 2002. Uh, but Michelle's Uncle Danny, he lived out in California. And he passed away in 2009 uh, from cancer. And <clears throat> right after he died, now when I say right after, I mean within an hour or minutes or an hour. Uh, Michelle woke up during the middle of the night and she said, my Uncle Danny just came to me. I'm like, what do you mean? I didn't understand. I didn't implicitly pick up on what she meant by that. She had to explain. He came to me as if he was a spirit. That's what she said. And I thought, oh, okay. You know, and that's the first time she had any inkling any indication that she was a medium is because he just popped out of nowhere and or what she thought was nowhere and uh, talked to her for a bit well that was 2009 so that's been 12 years ago and <clears throat> so she I don't remember if she answered him back, if she talked to him much, but she I think she at least listened to him. And it was a very strange experience for her because um, that, again, that had never happened. That was the first time that, that, that uh, the soul of a relative or anyone she knew uh, had contacted her from the other side to talk to her. And since then, she's had uh, my dad talk to her um my uncle danny uh when my dad passed away a few months back let's see actually i think it's been four months um uh four months a couple of days ago actually and uh my dad passed away four months ago back in may and my uncle danny uh came to michelle and said just so you know i'm here waiting on him so that when he gets here, we'll take him from here. Now, here, I guess, is what most people call heaven. Uh, me, I just call it the afterlife. Uh, uh, it's, it's just uh, our existence after we leave this existence. And so, um, uh, Michelle has also talked to relatives of hers that have passed on. Um, somebody came to her that she had just who was just an acquaintance. She had only met this person once. And <clears throat> he, 
he came to her. He had obviously passed on. And if I'm getting the story correct, um, he had died in floods in Texas. This was five, six years ago, maybe. And uh, he told her that that had happened. And then later that same week, she found out that he did indeed die. He drowned in a flood near his home in Texas. And that really spooked her because that was the first time she'd had corroboration outside of talking from outside of talking to souls what uh, a corroboration of an event that a soul was telling her about that it went through. And I don't remember the guy's name and I don't think she does, but uh, she has since learned to embrace this gift and now my alexithymia and my autism made me a very skeptical person now I'm gonna be to be completely honest I have not ever been skeptical of Michelle's gift I just haven't uh, her medium ability is something that I've just always believed in because I've seen how it changes her when someone from the other side comes to her and uh, it's overwhelming for her. Um, a friend of mine at uh, uh, the Whole Foods store I worked at in Oklahoma City was visiting with us and Michelle's, Michelle was sitting there and this friend's grandmother came to Michelle. And so my friend was sitting there with us when uh, her grandmother visited Michelle right there. And so they got to talk. And that was fascinating because, again, I've not ever been skeptical of Michelle's gift. However, I have been skeptical of nearly everything else in life because my alexithymia couldn't let me feel it. And my autism wouldn't let me connect with it more than in just a very basic factual, um, <clears throat> uh, in a basic factual way. And so my skepticism, in a lot of ways, hindered me from developing my own gifts. The one gift, however, though, that I always wanted was to get in, to connect with my own uh, inner wise being, my own soul. Uh, <clears throat> because for me, and for Michelle, I don't believe that uh, a soul is just all here in this body. I think most cultures on the planet believe in a in a everlasting uh, an eternal soul, and and I do. And so, if it's infinite and eternal, how can it all fit in this one single mortal body? You know, a small part of it is here, and these physical bodies are are the the suits that we use to play this video game called reality. And <clears throat> so, the major part of me is on the other side of the veil that separates life and death and uh, it sees all and, and knows all. And so I've always wanted to get in touch with that part of me that is eternal. And I'd been talking about this even long before I had autism, even long before, uh, or long before I knew I had autism, uh, even long before I knew I had alexithymia or any of these problems. 
because something told me that being able to connect with my inner self, uh, people use that term, uh, might say with my, uh, with my eternal soul, getting in contact with that was where I was going to be able to get the wisdom and the answers that I needed in life besides just smashing around life like a bull in a china closet hoping that something would work out by trial and error. That's how I was living life. And um, uh, I won't go into a lot of the details, but uh, most everything I tried, my autism kept me from learning well in school. So I took classes over and over again, same class sometimes six, seven times. Uh, that was organic chemistry, genetics three times, uh, general chemistry three times, um, because I just couldn't get the material fast enough to pass. And so <clears throat> that was just one example. But uh, all of that, my, my alexithymia and my autism, hindered me from living the life I wanted to. And so in 2013, a year after my diagnosis, uh, when I found out I could at least attempt to heal it, Michelle and I jumped in both feet, and eight years later, the autism symptoms are gone. They just are. Uh, the alexithymia is also gone, uh, which is fascinating. Uh, we've documented that whole journey uh, in a whole other place uh, on Heal Your Autism on, um, on Facebook. We also have a page on 12 Light University that talks about a lot of it too, but um, which I suggest you go to if you're interested in that part of it. But the reason I talk about that is the autism and the alexithymia kept me very skeptical that I could do the same. It kept me skeptical that I could ever get in touch with whatever gifts I had. And so I didn't attempt to for a long time. But over this past year, especially over this past four or five months, I've realized that I think I need to get in touch with mine even stronger than I have. But you know what really got me back into connection or got me into connection because again I don't think I ever had it uh, since I was born was getting rid of heavy metals detoxing from heavy metals uh, healing my gut and clearing up uh, a strep bacteria infection that was so bad that it clouded my brain and uh, my ability to think well and so getting those out of the way I can now hear my intuition really well uh, and uh, I interpret dreams for Michelle. Um, and uh, I don't know whether I'd have that ability for others. I probably would. Uh, but uh, uh, I now hear my intuition better than ever. And I used to hear it periodically when I was autistic still. And uh, which was fine because sometimes I would need it. But now it's a regular thing. I, I call out when I need to. And so to me that's... That is the whole point that Michelle and I are doing 12th Light University is because everybody needs to get in touch with that inner wise being because that inner wise being, which is you, has the answers you need. And getting in touch with that is going to give you when you have, when you have a need for wisdom in your life to apply to solve a problem you can go inward and get the information. And uh, it may come immediately, may come in a few days, something like that, but you will get the answer. And 
I can say that because I've seen that happen for me very consistently uh, all throughout healing from the autism, the alexithymia, and uh, especially over the past year, the more and more I've wanted to get in touch with it uh, in a more connected, deeper way. Uh, but my conversion towards all of this came about because in 2009, towards the spiritual way of things, my conversion towards the spiritual uh, uh, mode or method of living uh, came about because in 2009, uh, life became really difficult for us. And uh, Michelle had started in July of 2008. And then in 2009, I decided, well, you know what, maybe I need to start this, mainly because I didn't want to be left behind by Michelle. And then finally, in March of 2009, I learned about tapping and Michelle, I showed Michelle the site that I found and she taught herself and she had been writing affirmations for the previous nine months, uh, sentences on paper. And by the time she was done, she had written almost 18 inches full of paper, thousands, a few thousand pages. And they made enough of a change for her that she saw healing to start with. And we just kept going with other tools that we would find. And so in uh, January of 2010 was when I really started in earnest because our life was just a shambles and we were, we were, we didn't know what we had done to cause that. But what we realized is it's all the programming that we picked up by default growing up. And you have to change that to, and you have to clear a lot of that old programming and those old traumas out so that you can hear the inner you. And uh, I can tell you after 11 and a half years for me and 13 years for her, we have done exactly that. We're now over the major hump of it and we're still dealing with stuff. But uh, we're not looking up the hill anymore. Uh, we're kind of looking at the mountains behind us as we come down the, the far slope, so to speak. But anyway, uh, my... My main point in this video, as I said earlier, was kind of giving you an introduction to me. And uh, there's more about me and Michelle in different videos uh, on YouTube, on Facebook, um, and a little bit, I think, on uh, uh, 12th Light University as well. But uh, if you're really interested in finding out more, you can go to the, all those different places. Um, and just sit and watch. We have podcasts as well. It was the video, or excuse me, the audio. We took off the video. So you can listen to it if you, even if you can't, uh, don't have time to watch. But um, my conversion to wanting to live in through spirit, I know that sounds, well, Christian, so to speak, but that's not how I mean it, um, is that if I have all the answers I need inside from my eternal soul, my eternal self, then who else do I need to go to? All I have to do is go to me and ask myself, hey, what should I do in this circumstance? And <clears throat> the answers have always been right for me. You know, I should say true for me. And all of us who have issues in life that we that we don't know how to solve 
you can begin to do that by connecting with the inner you. And we're here to help you get connected to the inner part of you that you either didn't know exist or you knew existed, but you didn't know how to contact it. Um, and help you develop a relationship with yourself. Because to me, that's what spirituality is. Whose spirit are you trying to get in touch with? Nobody else knows your life like you. So, really, spirituality is just developing a relationship with yourself so that uh, you can live the best life that you, you can live the life that you want to live. And that's what Michelle and I are here for. And all you have to do is contact us. Uh, she can give you readings. Uh, me, my function in this uh, is the, you might say, the, uh, the hermit carrying the light to illuminate, to help you illuminate your way. And uh, so in other words, uh, I, I pull wisdom out of your own words to help you see the path that you need to go down. And uh, uh, in, a, in a way, I'm a mirror, you might say, because uh, I listen to you, uh, I listen to myself, and then I give you what you, I give you what I'm hearing because usually what I'm hearing is apropos for what you need to do. And once you get connected with yourself, you won't need us. All you need is you. So there's a little bit about me. I think that was more about 35 minutes. But uh, uh, anyway, hopefully it's helpful. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be helpful to somebody. But uh, if you have any questions, contact us. Michelle does readings, uh, in-depth readings, basic readings, uh, energy clearings, that kind of stuff. And if you feel like you need some of that uh, help, that's what we're here for. So get on, go to 12thlightuniversity.com uh, and just check out the site uh, because you'll find a lot of, you probably, if you're, if you've been into spirituality for years, some of this stuff will make sense to you. Uh, mainly, it's energy medicine that we do. We'll say energy technologies, energy tools, uh, tapping, reframing, forgiveness. Yes, forgiveness is is an energy tool. It really, it, forgiveness is definitely a tool. Forgiveness is not for other people. It doesn't matter. Forgiveness is for you. It's for you to give away the pain that you feel over a situation. That's what it is. So. <clears throat> Get on 12th Light University, check it out, and contact us if you need something because we're happy to help. Anyway.